Welcome into the third installment in our preseason preview series. Today, we look at Conference USA. We've done two of these shows so far, Mike. We're, um, you know, now we're into the third show, shaking the rust off a little bit, getting into it. You know, as I look at Conference USA, look at some of the teams, uh, you know, UTSA and Western Kentucky uh, were the cream of the crop last year. It looks like a number of programs tried to make some changes uh, all throughout. We'll see what happens. You know, Conference USA feels to me, you know, UTSA looks like the team to beat. But, you know, if, you know, given what's coming back at Western Kentucky, some uncertainty there, maybe with some upgrades, some other programs made, we've got a chance of a little bit more parity in Conference USA this year. Now, what that means for college fantasy football still remains to be seen, but there are quite a few positional battles that we're keeping an eye on going into the new season. Yeah. I mean, this is the second year we're doing these conference previews. And I mean, if there's two topics in college football that I do not pay attention to, it's conference realignment and NIL. And is this the last year that we're going to be talking about conference USA? Cause you got UTSA, I believe moving to the AAC. Um, I would assume a few others. So um, could be our last show talking about Conference USA. Yeah, I mean, look, um, yeah, that's that's the lay of the land. And, uh, you know, are we headed to the mega conferences? We'll see. I don't know. But let's have fun while we're here. So we're in. We might as well take a dive into it. And uh, we're just going to kind of go in, you know. I, I, what I did, Mike, is I, I chose some of the programs where probably very few questions similar to the way that we handled the ACC. So we're just going to start off with Rice, right, where, you know, you you made mention of it at the in the conference write ups that, you know, under Bloomgren, the offense seems to be evolving a little bit. They're playing a little faster pace over the last couple of years. They had a couple of receivers through the transfer portal. Sam Crawford, I believe Isaiah Estale was another one. Are we seeing a little bit more of an evolution to a passing attack there at Rice? And do we have any fantasy rele- relevancy? And that's the question going into 2022. And unfortunately for me, you know, obviously it's a stay away, probably for you and many others as well. But what, what is there anything in particular that you're trying to, you know, keep tabs on Rice? Not that necessarily you're looking for players in the draft, but maybe as we move into the season a little bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I think they have the same basic fundamental idea of what they want their offense to be under Bloomgren. It's ground and pound. They want to slow the pace typically uh, and trying to establish the run, but you kind of look at the personnel that they brought in over the off season via the portal. And it's like receiver, receiver, receiver. Are they trying to, to boost up that passing game? And you look the last two years, I made we made mention of it in the guide that they're throwing more um, than they have in years past, which it's funny because they used three different quarterbacks last year, yet they're throwing more. So, I mean, I think that's the goal for them this, this off season. You want to find an established quarterback. You want to find, I mean, we have no idea who really is going to start in that right. backfield. Um, Ari Broussard, potentially Dean Connors look good in the spring game. Um, Juma Odoviano still kind of a, a, a one game legend from a couple of years ago where he ran for 200 yards in that season finale. I mean, those guys are still around, but they haven't been able to to really produce a 1,000-yard back that we thought was going to be a staple yeah. under Bloomgren because came from Stanford. So, Well, like we've mentioned on previous shows, and we'll probably mention in future shows as well, not every program is going to have fantasy assets for us that we're, you know, we're going to be interested for going into draft day. But 
there are, you know, Rice is a program where you get into the heart of Conference USA schedule. You might run into a two or three week, uh, you know, stretch in the schedule where if someone does find some form, someone does, you know, have a breakout season, there might be an opportunity to add somebody on the waiver wire or use them as, you know, by by week replacements or injury replacements throughout the season. And so, yeah, I agree with you. And that's really where our eyes are on Rice and not so much in the preseason, but keeping our eyes on them and watch how they evolve during the season uh, and see if there are any fantasy factors that evolve in that roster. Now, talk about a team that is going to probably throw it a little bit more, right? Mike, is uh, let's go over to Louisiana Tech where Sonny Cumbie comes in. Uh, and for us, I think really you know, there's still question marks around the passing game. You and I have spent some time talking about how this would be a really good landing spot for a transfer quarterback. You know, when we were getting into discussions on whether or not, you know, someone at Miles Brennan would stay at LSU and compete with Nussmeyer and Jaden Daniels in state, could went right to Louisiana Tech and start. As of right now, you know, Louisiana Tech's been fairly quiet. They go into the season probably with who? Uh, Matthew Downing, maybe Parker McNeil. Uh, that's where my eyes are really during preseason camp is just to see how the quarterback plays kind of coming along uh, in the progression of the offense during this offseason and throughout preseason camp. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think we all hope that somebody better comes along in that uh, in that quarterback room. I mean, Donovan Smith kind of sticks out, right? Former quarter or for former Offensive right. coordinator, now head coach at Louisiana Tech. That's a name, but I don't – I mean, these the, the rules in the transfer portal feel very ambiguous where, I don't know, some guy – I feel like even though there was that May 1st deadline, I feel still feel like some guys are just transferring, and I don't know if it's a waiver or anything like that. So, you know, maybe we could see a Donovan Smith. Miles Brennan makes a lot of sense to me just because graduate transfer, he could start right away. But these are all hypothetical names until something happens. And until then, we have to roll with either Matthew Downing or Parker McNeil. Roll, yep. We're not going to roll with them, right? They're going to be waiver wire options at best. Nobody's drafting them. I'd say the only good thing about them is that both of them have played under Cumby. So you, you they have an experience factor. They know that system. And, and I think they're going to throw it a, a decent amount. There's nobody I'm interested in in that, in that Louisiana Tech backfield. I will say this, I am interested in the receivers, and I think we might, I was doing a little bit of research today, I think we might have to make a switch, potentially, with our receivers. We have Smoke Harris Mm -hmm. as the current wide receiver one. If you look back, each of the last eight years, every single one, it's been an outside receiver that's been the wide receiver one in this offensive system. That would be Trey Harris, a 6'2 sophomore I think he had 12 targets, seven receptions, 12 targets in the final game last year. So that's a name that I think we got to keep our eyes on. Smoke Harris, obviously a talented receiver. We'll see if those quarterbacks can get them the ball consistently. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, I think that's, that's you know, that's ultimately the sticking point going into drafts. If we had a better, more secure name there, we'd be investing draft capital in a Louisiana Tech quarterback. But because we really are, a little uncertain at this particular point. It's probably more of a of a wait and see approach. Maybe hit the waiver wire as the season starts to see who's going to emerge. But right now, we're not investing any draft capital in of Louisiana Tech quarterback. But, but like you said, in a Sunny Cumbie offense, you know that we've got some value 
in the receivers right now. And so um, the name that you mentioned is, you know, something that we do have to take a look at. It you know, was it Trey Harris and then, you know, yep. obviously. Yep. They're, and, they're um, not being drafted really in, no. in any of the best balls. So you can take a shot in the, in the final round if you have to, but I, I would take a shot on one of those two players. But really what's unfolding at Louisiana tech is what we're seeing probably consistently through some other programs here in conference USA. Let's go over to FIU next, right? Where Mike McIntyre brings in David Yost at offensive coordinator. They convinced Tyrese chambers to, you know, finishes his career there. They bring in Gunnar Holberg in from Duke. Now you could say they brought in Gunnar Holmberg. What has he really done? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, he came over from Duke and didn't do much, but there is an effort to make some upgrades here. They bring in Yost, they do retain Chambers, and so you know the thought is maybe they get a little bit more air. You put the air in the ball a little bit more this year as well. But like Louisiana Tech, you still there's still going to be a bunch of questions about the passing Mm -hmm. game until we actually see it bear fruit, right? Where we do know that Tyrese Chambers is a proven commodity. So we know that they have something to work with. We know that Yost is going to find a way to get him touches, right? So we see Tyrese Chambers going, you know, fairly early in a lot. I mean, early's relative term, not first, second round early, but he's going as a top 25 receiver, right? So Uh, any other questions for you in regards to that FIU program as we move closer to the season? Yeah, Tyrese Chambers is one of those players that I see other people in the industry kind of touting. So I I haven't been drafting Tyrese Chambers um, just because the price is too high. Thank you to a friend of the site, Andrew Katz, uh, for for boosting his his value. Um, but you know, I, I, I want to be on the right side of this for fading him. So I wanted, I reached out to the FIU beat writer just to get a little bit of insight. Like, hey, am I missing something with Tyrese Chambers here? Because, I mean, he had four games of single-digit fantasy points last year. He, I think he's best suited in a best ball format. Kind of like what we saw, or kind of the argument we remember last year we made with Deuce Vaughn, right? Yeah. He had just kind of sporadic production. Turns out we were, you know, a little wrong in that sense because he got the full workload there, 20 touches a game. But, yeah. you know, just uh, he's he, he, he really didn't get the ball chambers consistently enough for me to want to invest high draft capital in him. I told you about the four games of single digit fantasy points. I think they will throw the ball more. That's kind of what Yost has done, 37 attempts per season. Um, so the volume is going to be better, but as you spoke to, like, is the quarterback play going to be any, any good? So I, I'm, I'm off Tyrese Chambers at price point, but, um, you know, if he drops the sixth, seventh round, I could see drafting him. Yeah, He's well, I mean, player. what you have to realize is he averaged 23, nearly 24 yards a catch last year, right? And so that yards per catch is really what made him stand out and become a fantasy factor. And like you said, he had some really big games, best you know, in best ball formats, he was great, but he was hit or miss. And on a traditional format, you're looking for, we spoke, we touched on this on the last show, you're looking for a little bit more consistency. Will he get that this year under Yost though, right? So there is the possibility. And I, I, you know, I think you and I both like Chambers this year, but where he's going, I don't think we like the value at where he's going. And I I think you and I, to this point, have probably, uh, you know, haven't been able to get him because his price point for us isn't exactly ideal. Yeah, I mean, there again, he was in the portal earlier in the offseason, and I, what Eric Henry, the beat writer, told me was they like they persuaded him to come back 
based on, hey, we're going to feed you the ball. Yeah. That's that's the argument for. Against, you look back at Yost's time at, at previous stops, I think 19% target share uh, for his wide receiver ones over the years. So it's not really what you want to see out of your top target. And they brought in transfers. Um, they brought in some P5 transfers. I know Sherrod Johnson from Syracuse is one, Jacoby Hewitt, another from Indiana. Not saying those guys are necessarily difference makers, but they could factor in. Well, yeah, and then look, you know, we can go right over to FAU as well, where they bring in Brent Deerman as offensive coordinator. So a little bit of change in the offense. You've got Nikosi Perry that returns there, uh, which could be, you know, beneficial for Nikosi Perry and his fantasy prospects. You and I have spent a lot of time going back and forth because we had caught wind that Johnny Ford had missed spring practice due to academic reasons, yet Johnny Ford still as of June 1, remains on the FAU roster and no news has come out, which I think is good news because, you know, much the case, um, you know, with some players, sometimes you find out a lot as soon as that spring semester over is over, whether or not they're going to be eligible or not for the following year. Milton Wright, as an example, over at Purdue. The fact that we haven't heard anything about Ford right now still leaves me a little optimistic. The fact he's still on the roster online has me optimistic. There's still, you know, it's worth noting, right? You and I mentioned that we have to put it out there. But is there anything else significant at FAU that you're looking at besides really maybe those two guys? Not really. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, and, and Kosey Perry's an interesting case just because I haven't seen him being drafted at all. And he finished, I think, quarterback like 55, 50 range. Um, last year, where in our in-house ADP is going around QB 81 area. Um, so I, I, he's not necessarily a runner, but he did have 100 carries last year. Brent Deerman likes to get his quarterbacks involved in the running game. So that could uh, boost his stock potentially. And they got some, they got some good uh, receivers there, LeJonte Wester being one of them. I think they have a few other pieces that they're high on, but I don't know. I think the big news with FAU personally is I know you made mention that Johnny Ford's still on the roster. Semester's ended, so it could potentially be good news. I won't be touching him uh, just kind of with this news. And I think they like what they have with Marvin Scott, the Nebraska transfer as a backup. Larry McCammon apparently had good springs. So um, I'm personally not touching Jerome Ford or sorry, Johnny Ford in uh, any best ball drafts uh, just until we get more clarity there. Now, when we go over to UTEP, we're looking at, we're looking at an offense that, that returns the running game, but they had attrition at receiver in the passing game, right? So you've got Deion Hankins, Ronald Awat returning in the backfield for you and I, Mike, this is, this is one of those programs where we look at it, we see two backs, we see a split and we were like, you know, if one guy were to get injured or one guy were to transfer, all of a sudden we'd probably be looking at a fantasy factor in regards to maybe, you know, one of the backs there. But I think the big question for us is given what Jacob Cowing did last year before transferring over to Arizona is trying to figure out who replaces the volume that, that, you know, between him and Justin Garrett last year. And I, we have, we we're tabbed, we've tabbed Tyron Smith as sort of that guy right now, but you know, there's still, you know, that's not, crystal clear right now there's still some 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 work to be done in preseason camp but for me as long as there remains a log jam in the backfield it's going to be that wide receiver one spot for UTEP is really what I'm eyeing going into 2022 yeah absolutely I think it's it's 
we're we're off the running backs at this point. I think it's just going to be a split between Ronald Awat and Deion Hankins again. Um, I, I was going to mention just credit to this coaching staff because I, I think UTEP fans were just over Dana Dimo uh, entering last year. Then he makes a hire of, of Michigan State offensive coordinator Dave Warner, who was also like run out of town just because of the mediocre offenses that he coordinated with Michigan State and they improved and they could improve again because most of that offense returns aside from their wide receivers so um yeah we I think we're both looking at who's that wide receiver one I think it's Tyron Smith he had a yard per catch average of 17.3 which was very close behind Jacob Cowing so I think he could kind of slide in that similar uh role pretty seamlessly and I mean they 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 targeted at him, especially late in the year. I think 18 targets total in the last yeah. three games. And and I like his flexibility because he he had a 50-50 split for the most part between slot and outside. So I think they can find ways to get him the football. Yep. Now, Mike, let's go over to UAB where where the focus is going to be a lot more in a running game, particularly with with Dwayne McBride, right? But you know, is there, you know, is there reason to think that this passing game could be anything? You've got Jacob Zeno there, the transfer from Baylor. Trey Shropshire, I believe, entered the transfer portal. They convinced him, or maybe he didn't find anything out there. He comes back. Um, you know, I think for you and I, it's really about Dwayne McBride and maybe only Dwayne McBride right now. Maybe unless some sort of tight end emerges last year, tight end was you know, a relevant position fantasy-wise at UAB. Is there anything other than Dwayne McBride that we should be looking for over at UAB? No, not really. I mean, quarterback competition, Dylan, Dylan Hopkins and, and Jacob Sino might be uh, might be a competition, you know, heading into the summer. I think Hopkins, or, uh, Hopkins wins that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the running back situation, same as last year. And I think Dwayne McBride fully asserted himself, as we saw late in the second half of the season what I want to bring up which it it made me more interested in in UAB is just looking at that schedule is just a cakewalk especially early in non-conference then they get into conference USA play I think if you are drafting UAB players you are and when I say UAB players I mean obviously Dwayne McBride but I think what you want to do is pair him make sure you pair him with somebody that has an easy schedule on the back end specifically the second to last week of the season they go to LSU now maybe UAB finds success there but I mean this is the second to last week of the season this is your championship potentially I think uh in your college fantasy football leagues you'll want to have a potential replacement for Dwayne McBride so I think that's definitely what you're looking for um, if you're drafting the UAB running back one. That's a good point, but it's always why I prefer the soft schedules in the front because in order to play for the next, for the for your call, uh, for your league championship, you've got to get there first, right? So you've got to you got to win on the front end. But that's a, that's a great point you bring in just to kind of everyone to be aware on the back end and maybe even more so for those guys in best ball leagues as well as you kind of pairing up, identifying bye weeks and identifying matchups in the schedule. Now, let's go over to North Texas, Mike, where. You know, with Seth Luttrell over there, we're thinking air raid offense, right? But the Mean Green put together the fifth best rushing attack in the FBS last year. They bring in Grant Gunnell, which hopefully solves their quarterback woes. 
uh, after after last season. I know you and I are looking at Ganell as coming in and just kind of being the immediate starter, right? We know they have options in the passing game with Jair, Short, Jair Shorter, Roderick Burns, Tommy Bush. But really, how do you get away from the fifth best rushing offense when most of that comes back, right? I believe four, what, I'm not sure how many returning starters they have on the offensive line, but I think they get a good amount of starters back. Really, the confusion for us is you've got Oscar Attaway back after missing last year with with an injury. You've got Ragsdale that's in the mix. You've got Adai that's in the mix. They've got three solid options in that backfield, and I think that right now, more than anything, is really where I'm stumped when it comes to this North Texas backfield. What about yourself? Yeah, I think it's just the lack of reporting that we got in in the spring. Um, Maybe not even lack of reporting, just the fact that Oscar Attaway and Jair Shorter um, both were injured most of last year and still didn't fully participate um, in spring ball. So how are they going to be as we get closer to fall camp is definitely what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I think, I mean, I think the strategy for the most part is simple in the North Texas backfield. You can get these guys late, um, probably round 20 and beyond. So you just, I mean, if you, if you're on a bookend in a draft, just handcuff one after the other, they bring four starters back along the offensive line. So this running game should be really good depending. I don't know if they lean on it as much because we, I think both agree that Grant Gannell is going to be a upgrade over last year, over a 30 year old baseball player playing quarterback. Um, so I think you just handcuff them late and, and just see hopefully somebody emerges and you don't have a, a full on by committee approach in that backfield. Yeah. What's interesting about North Texas, given that offense and how productive they were last year and the potential of a Seth Luttrell offense, you can get all the North Texas players cheap on the back end of all the drafts right now. Uh, you name it from Gunnell to whether it's Attaway or Ragsdale, any of those running backs, even Roderick Burns or any of the receivers, anyone you can get at the tail end of any draft this year, um, which I would say, you know, if you're going to take a chance on a flyer in an offense like that, that's that's the point, that's the time to take it. And you and I are not seeing anything that points to the contrary of any of those guys going mid-draft this year so far. Keep an eye on Jair Shorter. I may have been a year too early on him. He, despite not playing in the spring, he is still being listed everywhere. The North Texas beat writer too, as a starter at wide receiver. Some places have him over starting over Roger Burns. They don't play the same spot, but he's in the starting lineup. Well, over to, Burns, to, so. to that point though, and this is what I was trying to bring out with the value at the back end of the draft, bringing Grant Gunnell in at quarterback now does help the value of the receivers on the roster, such as J.R. Shorter and maybe even a Roderick Burns as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mike, MTSU, the Blue Raiders, right? They bring in Mitch Stewart, offensive coordinator over at Sanford, where he had a pretty good run. Uh, Chase, they, you know, they, they kind of did the quarterback roulette last year because of, because of injuries. Chase Cunningham comes back. I'm a, I'm a, we're assuming he's going to start out as quarterback one. You've got Jalen Lane there. You know, not a lot changes for MTSU except maybe a little bit of, you know, stylistically the offense, Jalen Lane comes back. Um, You know, you and I are looking at him probably as wide receiver one. Look at maybe more stability there at quarterback this year with Cunningham. We're still a little uncertain about what's going on in the MTSU backfield. 
or do we, do we have a chance to kind of see a little bit more of the MTSU type offense that we saw four to six years ago, or, you know, is your feeling much of the same of what we've seen over the last two or three years? I think they're going to try. I think they're going to try. I don't know if they have the personnel to do it. I, yeah. I mean, I like Jalen Lane, but um, you know, I don't, they don't have a Brent stock still, at least from what we've seen now. They don't, I don't think they have a Richie James or a Ty Lee. Um, but they're certainly going to try, I think, because, you know, I think Rick Stockstill's on his last, last hurrah here, if he doesn't get it done. Um, they're going to throw the ball substantially more, I think 42 pass attempts per game at his last stops, Mitch Stewart, uh, at Murray State and, and Samford. Um, they're not going to run the ball too much. I, I mean, looking at the data, I, I think 100 carries maybe for the running back one. They're going to split it up, and they're not going to run the ball too much, so I don't have a ton of interest there. It's it's with this passing game. I made a point that, you know, the volume is going to be up substantially with the passing game, but is it going to be good volume? We don't know. I don't know if they have the personnel to do it. I think we could find out in the first couple of weeks they get uh, – you know, FBS newcomers, James Madison, and then Colorado State in the first two weeks, those, if, if Middle Tennessee kind of gets back to what they were doing, I mean, those could be some 25, 30 point games on both sides. So that should be fun. Now let's get, we got three programs left. I think this is where things ramp up a little bit. We've get a few more names uh, at, on the roster, at least a lot more clarity. Um, I could say that maybe a little bit uh, as we'll see, as we get into the other programs, but I think Charlotte, Mike, uh, something that Charlotte's a program you and I have talked about. They get Ren- Chris Reynolds back at quarterback, Grant DeBose, Victor Tucker back at quarterback. They return four offensive linemen. I really like Charlotte to be some sort of a dark horse offense in this conference this year. The potential's there, not saying that they will. And, you know, you and I speak about Charlotte, and I, I know I mentioned to you, Grant DeBose is one of those guys that I'm really high on this year. I think all eyes were on Victor Tucker last year. And Grant DuBose, to me, just was the better receiver. And now another year in that offense. Um, I really like Charlotte. And, you know, we're going to look at the split backfield, right, with Camp and Bird there. But there's a lot to like in the Charlotte offense this year. Yeah. um, Again, kind of similar to some of the other teams that we talked about, like North Texas. I mean, they've got some pieces that you can get in the back end of the draft. I don't think... Uh, there's not a player that's getting drafted in the top 50 at their respective positions for Charlotte. Um, so you can really kind of get them at the back end of your drafts. And, you know, you get 83% of the, the offense coming back uh, from last year. Schedule is decent. You get the two buys, which I think is a, a detriment. And they go to South Carolina. But then their other non-conference, which I was, I didn't realize this until today, they get Maryland at home. Why Maryland set that, that that up? I have no idea because they can they could potentially lose that game. I wouldn't project it, but I mean that's that's not going to be a, a, an easy win for Maryland. I don't think so. Um, you know that should be a high scoring game. So I think the schedule sets up relatively nicely for them beyond the two bye weeks. But you know Chris Reynolds. It, three really good receivers in, in Tucker and DuBose and, and Elijah Spencer. So, you know, I, I, I do like this off and I think they're going to play in shootouts, right? I, their defense was terrible last year. I think Bill Connolly projects them as the worst defense in the, in the, in the FBS this year. 
Um, so there's potential for shootouts. They're going to have to, to score to keep up with their opponents. All right. So here's something that you and I have discussed. And I know that, that it was, it was a trend that I noticed that was developing. I'm, I'm kind of curious. We might as well talk about it right now. And that is when you look at Chris Reynolds numbers from a couple of years ago, he had, I believe a 700 yard rushing season, right? Um, we probably won't see that again, but he has been a little banged up over the last couple of years. Uh, and maybe it wasn't 700. Maybe it was a 500 yard season. I just remember he had a decent season two or three years ago. Um, th- Chris Reynolds to me seems very similar. And you and I talked about this, the style of play, some of the weapons he has this year. I could make some comparisons to Grayson McCall over at Coastal Carolina, and I'm not saying he's Grayson McCall, but I feel like it's that sort of type mold where Reynolds is at. He's got the weapons, and I think the offense is going to throw the ball quite a bit. But yet, man, we're seeing Reynolds, Grayson McCall go way higher than Chris Reynolds, who probably, you know, in the two best ball drafts we've, we've done so far this year, I, I think Chris Reynolds in the first one didn't go until the second to last round and is going near the end where Grayson McCall, by some, is being considered a top 15 to 20 quarterback, right? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I mean, Chris Reynolds finished as QB 27 on a, a points per game average last year. So I would, if you gave me the choice of, you know, round six for Grayson McCall or round 25, I think I got him in, in this best ball that just completed today. I'm taking Chris Reynolds personally. So um, you spoke to the running game. I think it's, it's strictly injuries for Chris Reynolds. It's noticeable how his de- the decrease in, in rushing attempts over the years that in the last two years for him. So um, he's, pro- I mean, he'll still run it a bit, but I think he's going to have to do it mostly with his arm and, and he's got the receivers to do it. So. Yeah, it was back at Mike, Mike, actually, now that I'm looking at it, it was a 700 yard, six touchdown season back in 2019. So we know he's done it and we know he's been banged up for the last couple of years. And so I just know you and I have spoken about it and you know, this is one of those discussions of value, like you said. Guys are going after McCall, you know, in round six, or would you prefer to just sit on Reynolds and take him in round 18, 19, 20? And I think I scooped up Reynolds late in one of the best balls as well. So interesting point. I thought I'd bring that up while while we were on Charlotte. Yeah. Just to, just to add on to that. I think we've had this discussion before too, about like the discrepancy between Grayson McCall and and Chris Reynolds would be a uh, one. It's a better team, right? You want a coastal Carolina quarterback, most likely over a Charlotte quarterback, but you know, we've talked in, in, in our previous episodes about, about consistency and, and Chris Reynolds, while I don't, I don't, I wouldn't imagine he, his stat line is as consistent as Chris uh, Grayson McCall, but you know, he scored 19 or more fantasy points in eight of 11 games. So he's doing well in that sense. 28 fantasy points or more in four, like a third of the season. That's really good, particularly for a best ball four man. So I like Chris Reynolds. You can get him. I think I got him around 25. So I, I think he's, he, a he, he's a guy that we both like. And I, I'm curious to track him over the summer. I have a feeling he's going to start going up and trending up a little bit in some of these best ball drafts as guys tend to favor you know, the dual threat type in Grayson McCall. I think it's worth monitoring, but I think uh, Reynolds could be a guy that 
that kind of climbs up the ladder a little bit in the coming months. So we'll keep an eye on that. But let's go over to UTSA, Mike, the Conference USA defending champions who return just about everyone except running back Sincere McCormick, which for many of us was one of the biggest pieces of the fantasy puzzle. What, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, where, where are your eyes on UTSA going into the season? It's, I think it's where your eyes are at. And it's just who wins out that running back one job. And, you know, we've already made the switch and the guide. I think we made it the the day that the news happened that Trelon Smith is, is transferring to UTSA. And reason being for that is I know everybody, you know, I was even for a brief moment on the, on the Ty Edwards bandwagon. Um, but you know, this is one of those situations where you just kind of read the tea leaves and you read some of the coaching quotes and nobody ever like really hyped up Ty Edwards in those quotes, right? I saw beat writers saying he was just, you know, he was fine. He was good, but he wasn't like a standout performer in practices in the spring game. And then you look, uh, I think the offensive coordinator was talking about it. He's like, we have to get somebody in the portal that has experience that started games before and that can potentially carry the load for us. That doesn't bode well for Ty Edwards. So they found that guy in Trelon Smith. Now he gives out up 40 pounds, I think to Ty Edwards. So we're not projecting sincere McCormick, like workload of 220, 230 plus carries, but you know, at 190 pounds, he's not tiny. Um, and he's got SEC experience. So I think we I think we made the smart move here in, in projecting him as the running back one. Well, let, let's let's give a little bit more context behind the why too, right? Uh, you, you know, we, we don't want to dismiss Ty Edwards at all. You know, Juco National Championship player of the game a couple of years ago. The guy is talented. Uh, you and I watched some some video of him. You know, my my comparison when I was I remember telling you, he kind of reminded me a little bit of Tavion Thomas. He's a bigger guy. He's not a slasher. Uh, He can kind of go through some guys and he can get to the edge uh, at certain points. But the reason why I think more than anything, you and I lean with Trelon Smith is just Mike. He's been there, done that against SEC caliber competition. Right. This isn't the Juco level in which he did it. So there is some hype behind Edwards and. UTSA lost a lot of running backs in spring practice. And it wasn't that Edwards wasn't any good. It's just, they didn't have the numbers. They needed to get numbers. And then all of a sudden, Brendan Brady decided that he was going to come back for a sixth year of eligibility. They get Trelon Smith. So now they have to be feeling pretty good about the depth. And it's not that we don't like Edwards. It's just when we look at two players and we're comparing them on who we're going to go with, you and I are going to side with, the player that's done it for Arkansas against L- uh, SEC caliber competition already versus a guy that's only done it at the JUCO level. Now, to your point, they're not, you know, more than likely, it's not going to be sincere McCormick type workload, right? You do have a bigger back, so we can see a little bit more of a split. Maybe there's something where, where Edwards gets more utilization in the short yardage and red zone carries, but on a down-to-down basis, we're definitely siding with Trelon Smith, and that's sort of the why behind that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would uh, say, say Brennan Brady did not decide to come back, and then they just added Trelon Smith. I'd be more hesitant to make that full swap to Trelon as the running back one. But the fact that they added another 
you know, relatively proven body in, in Brennan Brady and then still decided to bring in Trelon Smith. I think that speaks more to the fact that they were just not completely satisfied with their room and they and they wanted to get a, a proven guy like Trelon Smith. Yeah, and I, I don't want to just move on from UTSA without addressing the passing game because we mentioned this on, on one of the shows yesterday uh, with, a, you know, a AAC, and I can't remember where the ACC, and I couldn't remember who we were referencing. Uh, it might have been Jordan Travers, the quarterback from Florida State, where Frank Harris for us, the projections kind of came out a little higher than where we have him ranked. And, and, you know, we looked at that and a lot of that had to do with the consistency issue with Frank Harris last year. The only thing we're wondering is, you know, does the loss of sincere McCormick help Harris out a little bit more in the running game? We don't know. Uh, But Harris was a guy that projected a little bit higher than our ranking. And there's a lot to like with all three receivers coming back, Zachary Franklin, um, you know, among the leaders of receivers, there's a lot to like at that UTS passing game though, isn't there Mike? Absolutely. Um, You know, I mean, they got, they got studs at wide receiver. So um, I can see Frank Harris replicating what exactly he did last year. I think only knock on Harris maybe is, is his health in the past. And and he kind of squashed that last year. Um, Just kind I mean, Frank Harris, yeah, just to kind of, and on, you know, he, dual threat quarterbacks like him will pop more in our projections, just like receiving running backs always tend to be higher in our projections. But it's it's we kind of have to look at the totality of the situation as to why maybe Frank Harris might come down a little bit lower on our on our overall. Yeah. That, and that's a great point. Consistency and schedule plays into that case in point, Utah's Tavian Thomas, UAB's Dwayne McBride. We know that they're not going to get a lot of catches, but given what they've done already, knowing the consistency they can get on the ground at finding the end zone, getting over a hundred yards, that plays a factor into the rankings too. It's not necessarily just the statistics, the way that they kind of spit out in the projections, right? Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's end up with Western Kentucky, Mike. I saved them for last. They were the darlings of college fantasy football last year. You and I undervalued the offense a little bit. We were no, no one thought, well, some said that they did think, but no one thought it was, they were going to, you know, be the historic offense in which they were. Now we're looking at Jarrett Dagey seems to be the starter coming out of spring where he kind of took three of the first six series in spring practice. I know Austin Reed came in there. He only played one of the first six or, or uh, one of the first five or six series himself. So it looks like Daigie has a leg up at the quarterback spot for you and I, a lot of confusion going on at receiver right now. We know we've got Daywood Davis and Malachi Corley backs the wide receiver threes and four from last year. You've got Michael Matheson that came in there uh, from Akron. You've got Jalen Hall that came over from, Western Michigan and quite honestly the talk of spring camp was the improvement and the return of Dalvin Smith so a lot of options here at Western Kentucky Mike and not a ton of clarity other than we know that Daywood Davis and Malachi Corley are both both proven in that offense yeah and then you get Malachi Corley who had 75 receptions as a freshman and there wasn't a peep like, okay, Western Kentucky's got like one beat writer, right? Compared to 10 for Alabama. So, you know, the information is tougher to come by. But 
I'm seeing Matheson being mentioned. I'm seeing Jalen Hall being mentioned. I'm seeing even David Davis, who was there last year, being mentioned. Not a peep out of Malachi Corley, which, eh, I mean, it could be just, hey, we've got this proven commodity here. You know, we don't really need to discuss him. Let's talk about the transfers. But we'd like to hear some positive news about him, you know, kind of building off that, that freshman season. So still have him projected really highly. We know what slot receivers can do in this offense, which – uh, you know, we we mentioned in the guide, it's going to be, they're going to try and replicate what they did last year. They got um, their offensive coordinator who's been with, who was with Zach Kitley um, at Houston Baptist. So they're going to try and do what they did last year, just with lesser parts this year. Um, so, you know, I'm keeping tabs, especially on the, the wide receiver core to see who shakes out. So wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and then We've talked about this player pretty extensively uh, that a lot of other people seem to be high on is Joshua Simon, yeah, the tight end. And this one is a conundrum for me, especially as someone that does projections, because you look back at this style of offense. Now, granted, Joshua Simon had three receptions, 70 yards, two touchdowns in the opener last year before he he got injured and out for the rest of the season, but if, and I know the team did throw, I think 13 total touchdowns, something like that to tight ends last year. Yeah. But you look at the system and and there is no, there's no evidence of a tight end really performing that well in this system. So are you, is it, I kind of self analyze, am I too rigid with my projections or you know, or, or are we on the right end of this and that Josh Simon is not a top 10 tight ends that some others, you know, prop him up to be. So I'd like to hear a little bit more in, 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 in preseason uh, reports to see how they might utilize Josh Simon before I want to boost him up a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, and to your point, Mike, they had eight touchdown receptions from the tight ends on 17 total receptions. Right. And so it's, it was basically touchdown or, or nothing boom or bust other than that, that, you know, the opener for Simon. And so, you, you know, that you and I have kind of beat our heads on the wall. It seems like on how, how is Simon going to fit into the offense and is he, because last year he was being, talked about as you know a breakout performer possibly NFL type tight end right pass catcher and so like I like you said there's not a ton that comes out of there we know that we have proven performers in Davis in Corley there was a lot of buzz about Dalvin Smith that came out of the spring very little when it came to Matheson very little when it came to Hall very little when it little when it came to Simon but uh, you know, this is where preseason camp really is going to come in and, and hopefully be a lot more helpful as we get, you know, a little bit more, you know, a few more reports coming out of camp, I guess, so to say, leading up to the season. Yeah, I mean, again, say Malachi Corley, I don't think anybody's going to be Jared Stearns, right? Have right. 150 receptions or whatever the hell he had, but that's a scenario where I could see Josh Simon getting more volume, even though we don't have the historical precedence that a tight end is being involved. You know, he's going to run in the seams kind of with those slot receivers. So, you know, may if say Corley gets 75, 80 receptions, then the, the, the volume is obviously going to be distributed to other guys in that offense. So that's a pathway I could see Joshua Simon uh, performing to, to his ADP. Yep. 
Well, that's going to do it, Mike, for Conference USA. Look, third show, we're, we're kind of hot and heavy into it now. Next up, we're going to get into either the Big Ten or the Big 12. We're going to alternate G5, P5. And I know, I know you're anxious to get into Michigan. Almost want to just go Big 12 next just to make you wait a little bit longer. But we're going to get there, man. Look, uh, finally, we're picking up steam. Preseason's hot and heavy. The subs are coming in. Thank you guys that have come in. You all are the ones that drive the site. And some of the feedback uh, that comes in, Mike and I share those emails. The feedback has been tremendous. And all the kind words that you guys have, uh, have given us, uh, we share it. We appreciate it. And uh, we share the love with you guys. So thank you all. You helped drive the site what it is today. Mike and I love doing what we do. And we're going to continue to do it for you guys through the rest of the summer and throughout the season. Again, go ahead. The preseason fantasy draft guide and preseason fantasy projections are all up. We'll get this show up on the site soon, and all of the conferences will be done probably within a couple of weeks. We'll have that up for everyone as well as all the updates, as we always do. So that's it. For Mike Bainbridge, my name's Joe DeSalvo for the, with the CFF site. Until the next show, we'll see you guys.